0: Comparatively speaking, the British puts on a classier kind of TV show than the U.S. They've done this so much that American TV executives are never too eager to borrow some of the more popular shows from across the pond. For example, the story about two single women who needed a roommate when their third friend moves away. The night after a party, they discover a mysterious man in their bathtub. Hilarity ensues for a little bit, until it's revealed that the man, an aspiring chef has no place to live. The two single women take a chance and take the man in on the condition that they have to convince their downstairs landlords that the man is gay, even though he isn't. Hilarity continues to ensue for many years, with one story after another of big misunderstandings. If that story sounds familiar... Wait a minute. This sounds familiar. This intro. Didn't we do this before... Let me see the scripts. Why am I reading the script to the second and third episodes we ever did? Stop the music. I gotta make a call. Hey, it's me. Did the boss accidentally send a script to an episode that I already did two years ago?
1: Come on. You know that the boss never makes mistakes. Even if they're evil incarnate, they still do everything with precision and leave no room for error. If uh, they ever did make a mistake, the big guy upstairs would rain so much vengeance on them that it would literally shame them out of existence. And a new boss would take its place so that there's balance in the universe once again. That process is even worse than any apocalypse.
0: Of course. That's exactly how the afterlife works. But that's besides the point. I'm reading the script right now, and it's word for word the same introduction I gave on our second show.
1: Let me check. Well... According to our database, you should be holding the script to your 50th episode. Hey, good for you for lasting this long. Let me see. According to the stats, this week's show is supposed to be an episode about a rip-off to the British sitcom Faulty Towers. That's impossible. I already covered both of
0: those shows in our second and third episodes. Amanda's from 1983 and Payne from 2000. They're two of our charter inductees. I mean, what else is there to say about them?
1: Hold your water for a sec. We know about those shows. They're saved in the archives. But, according to this... There's supposedly a third ripoff of Faulty Towers that you didn't go over because the source material was unavailable.
0: Yes, it was a 1978 pilot starring Harvey Corman and Betty White. When I did the research for the other two shows, I read that the only known form of existence the show had was a script on display at the University of Illinois Champaign campus. No other footage of it existed, and at least to my knowledge, it stays that way.
1: Are you sure you read the entire script?
0: I try not to read the script until I have to record. Even though I'm dead, I'm still a big believer in the element of surprise.
1: Well, suspend your belief and turn to page four. That's where you'll find out about the show.
0: (sighs) Let's see. Page four, page four. The pilot to America's first faulty Towers ripoff, known as Snavely, was long considered lost media, save for a copy of the script that was on display at the Champaign-Urbana campus of the University of Illinois, until in December of 2019, when a YouTube user named Johan Julius Van Zill, what a name— ...managed to get his hands on a copy of the pilot and uploaded it to its page for all the world to see.
1: That sounds like that settles that. Any other questions? (sighs) No. Wonderful. Good luck on the next 50 shows, honey.
0: (laughs) I don't want to do this again.
1: And now, accept no substitutions. This is Tella hell
0: Okay, we know how this works by now. It's a pilot, it doesn't go anywhere, except downward in a ball of flames. So, play the thing.
1: And now it's time, now it's time to show the secret films. The eclipse the stars, the eclipse the stars, So we never see. The rail and never made it to our screens. We bring you the pilot's that crashed.
0: To recap, here's how we got here in the first place. First, the original Faulty Towers was not only a big hit, but it proved to be one of the few shows out there that kept PBS in business during their annual pledge drives throughout the 70s and 80s. Then, in 1983, a writer named Elliot Scheinman wrote an Americanized version of the show, and because of his previous connection to one of her old series, he was able to convince B. Arthur to take on the Basil Faulty role. Role reversal, shoehorning in new characters, recycling of old faulty scripts, and a lack of creative input from OG Basil Faulty John Cleese, caused the show to get the axe after 13 episodes, and kept future producers from trying to capture lightning in a bottle twice. Until the year 2000, when writers Judd Pillett and John Peasley not only built a better mousetrap thanks to their faulty reboot, called Pain, but they were also able to get John Cleese's blessing, permission, and creative input. While the show did benefit from a more durable cast, including the lead actor, John Larroquette, the show suffered largely the same problems as Amanda's, minus the shoehorning in of new characters. And, to this date, with the exception of select dinner theater shows around the world, nobody has tried to lay a finger on remaking Faulty Towers ever since. But while those were the two better-known faulty ripoffs. It wasn't the first, and until recently, I didn't think this needed to be worth talking about. But, as it says in the script, the pilot to America's first faulty Towers ripoff, known as Snavely, was long considered lost media, save for a copy of the script that was on display at the Champaign-Urbana campus of the University of Illinois, until in December of 2019, when a YouTube user named Johann Julius Van Zill, once again, what a name, managed to get his hands on a copy of the pilot and uploaded it to his page for all the world to see. But before we see it, or at least hear about it in this case, we need to know who's responsible for this first. First, one of the underappreciated TV producers of the 20th century, Dean Hargrove who, in the early 1970s, already made his mark on the TV world by lending his words to some of the greatest TV crime dramas of all time, particularly on the classic NBC mystery movie, best known for shows like McLeod, Quincy, and, of course, this guy. You know, there's only one thing that I'm not
1: clear
2: about. Actually, uh, there is one thing. One other thing. One more question, sir.
0: Later on in his career... Hargrove, along with the production company of our patron saints Fred Silverman, would reboot the TV classic Perry Mason in a series of 80s and 90s TV movies, plus a few more hits in the form of Jake and the Fat Man and Diagnosis Murder on CBS, and perhaps his most enduring work.
1: Matlock!
0: Yep. Dean Hargrove was also the creator of Matlock. For this show, however, Hargrove was partnered up with another writer. One, Mr. Roland Kibby, which sounds like the name of a discount dog food, but as usual, I digress. He, too, worked on many of the shows that Hargrove worked on back in the 70s. Though his career trajectory stops in the early 1980s when he retired from the industry, ultimately passing away in 1984. The notion of two crime-drama writers getting together to do a comedy wasn't that far-fetched. After all... A truly great creative type can jump around all the genres without breaking a sweat, and especially since all these two were doing was creating an adaptation of existing material, a common practice when it came to Americanizing British TV shows. Most series' first episodes were slightly adjusted and loosely based versions of the first episodes of the original import. Even the subject we covered last week used the same basic story as their British counterpart, but they still had to make a couple of changes in order to fit an American audience. Some changes were far more detrimental than others, but you get the point. The writing wasn't really the main issue here. What really mattered more was just who exactly would be willing to take on the roles of Basil Fawlty, his wife Sybil, their foreign bellhop, and their level-headed maid. On paper, the people that Hargrove and Kibby chose sounded like brilliant ideas. Cast in the role of the first Americanized Basil Fawlty, here to be known as Henry Snavely, was this guy. Or
2: you will only be risking your lives, whilst I will be risking an almost certain Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor.
0: Fresh off the success of The Carol Burnett Show and the soon-to-arrive infamy of the Star Wars Holiday Special, Harvey Corman was probably one of the all-time great comic actors who could play his parts as wacky as he also played them straight. Granted, most of his best moments happened opposite his longtime stage partner in crime, Tim Conway.
2: What's did Tim Conway?
0: Uh, about 120 pounds. <laughs> Of course, you can't have a Basil without a Sybil. And while the casting of this next person was a coup for Hargrove and Kibby, in retrospect, it might not have been the best idea.
1: At 90 years old, I was not expecting this. Let's right. put it that way.
2: Just The way things have gone the last couple of years has been just fantastic. That's
1: right. So I'm going to start lying about my age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 45. You're 45!
0: If Fred Silverman is the patron saint of Telehell, Betty White should be considered the patron saint of television in general. Almost literally, since it's impossible to say even the most remotely bad thing about her, no matter how hard you tried. Having acted, performed, or appeared in a TV show since TV sets were practically invented, no matter what she appeared in over television's existence, she would always be seen, either as the show's highlight, or, if the show was bad, its saving grace to have her of all people, however, play an Americanized version of Sybil Faulty just feels wrong. Not as wrong as her fellow future Golden Girl co-star B. Arthur playing both Basil and Sybil at the same time, but still a little off the scale on plausibility. For the record, this is how the original Sybil Faulty, Prunella Scales, treats her husband on a good day. <laughs>
1: Basil! 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 Basil!
0: And I think the closest Betty White has ever come to playing somebody this toxic was when she let loose in the movie Lake Placid.
1: If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it.
0: But perhaps I'm jumping the gun a little. Maybe Miss White has more range than we give her credit for. She wouldn't be as beloved a TV figure if she didn't. Rounding out the cast were our replacements for Manuel and Polly. Whereas the original Manuel, the late Andrew Sachs, was a migrant worker from Barcelona, Snavely's discount help would be of Albanian origin. I mean, Albania, Barcelona, Toronto, India, same difference, right? This character, to be called Petro will be played by an actor named Frank Laloja.
1: L, as in look, it's Robert Laloja. <sighs>
0: oh, shut up. That's not who I'm talking about and you know it. In fact, barely anybody knows who he is since his IMDb page lists about seven acting roles over the course of 50 years. Interpret that how you will. The role of Polly in this show would be rechristened Connie, possibly as an homage to the original series co-creator Connie Booth but we all know how that wound up working out in the year 2000.
1: Royal. (laughs) Boom,
0: boom. Connie the Maid would be played by character actress Deborah Zahn, whose IMDb page is actually even narrower than our replacement, Manuel, as all of her best work ranged from 1978 to 1979. But hopefully her performance here isn't the reason why her acting career was so (laughs) short-lived. Once again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, all that was left to do was to find a TV network that would be willing to take a chance on America's first adaptation of a far superior British product. With its stars, Corman and White, you would think that the best place to give it a try would be the network that gave them the most fame in the 1970s. But you would be wrong. You would also think that it would be on a network that, by 1978, was looking for just about anything to put on the air in the hopes that it would become a hit. (laughs) But you'd be wrong there, too. And since first-run syndication and cable TV wasn't quite as lucrative just yet in the 70s there was really only one other option.
2: After 25 years of entertainment excellence, we're still the one you can turn to.
0: By the time the show was commissioned for a pilot in 1978, the ABC network became the most-watched network on television thanks in part to shows that aimed toward younger demographics, a move that was championed by our patron saint for the three years that he ran the entertainment division. Fortunately, because he became good friends with show adapter Dean Hargrove by this point, one of the last pilot projects that Silverman greenlit for the network before making his faithful jump to NBC would be this Americanized attempt to duplicate Faulty Towers. The questions remain, however. Just exactly how much of this show would be faithful to the original, and how much of it would be a simple copy and paste job. We'll find out as we check into an inferior flea bag. After the break.
2: Perfect. Han, look at this. A van? Yeah, gets orders out of the bathroom. Watch this.
1: the bathroom is Lysol spray cleans odors right out of the air
2: but my fan your fan doesn't kill germs on surfaces Lysol does no fan
1: no need to get rid of odors we've got Lysol disinfectant spray can't run a home without
2: it maybe I'll start my own fan club.
1: this week on Telehel's premium content of the day Quiznos subs! They are tasty, they are crunchy, they are warm because they toast them! They got a pepper bar!
2: Quiznos new Santa Fe trio subs with smoky chipotle sauce. Try chicken, roast beef, or smoked turkey.
1: Tee Quiznos Quiznos. <laughs> <coughs> toast. <laughs> The only way to listen to Telehell's premium content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. And now... Back to this week's Torture. June 24th,
0: 1978. John Travolta emerged from the plastic bubble to become the star of two number one movies that year. ABC's news magazine, 2020, was in the middle of a rigorous rebooting process after a disastrous premiere. And at 9pm, 8pm Central, we encounter the first of many scenes that, if you've ever seen the original Faulty Towers, look strikingly familiar, yet just different enough so that it's not a complete rip-off. Just giving you fair warning now, be prepared for a lot of compare and contrasting moments. For starters... The opening scene where not Manuel looks befuddled when the front desk telephone rings. Only instead of Basil picking it up, a replacement Sybil does the talking.
1: Smaily matter. Oh, hello, Raj. Uh yeah, hold on a moment, will you? Room 17. <laughs> uh, take up! <off. sighs> yes, I'm still here, Roger.
0: And yes. They're about to do the same index card gag that they did on the original show. The one where Basil, or in this case, Betty, flashes a card with a number and arrow direction only for not Manuel to hold up a card of his own that says, okay. And while that joke does hold up, no matter who's telling it, the fact that it's Betty White instead of the man who would be faulty kinda ruins things a little bit. The faulty version works based on how irritated Basil gets with his staff. The Snavely version misses the mark entirely because of how kind hearted their version of Sybil happens to be. Not even a minute in, and I already feel like we've landed in a parallel universe. Which brings us to our first comparison the way Betty White's Sybil handles a phone call versus the way Prunella Scales did in a far more condescending well. manner.
1: What's new at your place? No, we're about half full. Or were well, when I left. I... Every time I leave Henry alone here, I worry about how many we lost. I know. Well, it all started with that electrician, didn't it? Real live why he was. Only one watt but plenty of volts, as they say.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, anything in trousers, yes. We then get the introduction to our counterfeit faulty. Seen bringing in the mounted head of a mountain goat, which is by no means supposed to be a ripoff of the real Basil bringing in a mounted moose head in the classic Germans
2: episode. You found it. You'll never guess where. Whatever made you
1: look in the furnace? Well, I was down in the cellar at.
2: Wait <laughs> a oh, minute. Where did you get it? Uh, Samson's in the town. here. Right. Yeah. Well, what well, well, was it expensive? Uh, 12 pounds, I eh? think. Good lord. Oh. Japanese, was it? Canadian, I think. After which, we then
0: get to see our American basil in action.
1: Henry, that goat smells.
2: Mountain goat.
1: Whatever, the guests complain.
2: Well, some of the guests smell and I don't complain. (laughs)
1: Look,
2: we live here too. Why is everything for the guests? Because we are in
1: the hotel business.
0: And right there, all by itself is the number one problem with this pilot. The fact that they have taken two of the most abrasive yet somehow lovable characters in comedy and flipped them inside out. On the original faulty, Basil is seen as a passive-aggressive wannabe pretentious snob who always wants his hotel to be at his best even though he's constantly at his worst. Meanwhile, his wife plays a condescending shrew who actually manages to strike a little fear into him once in a while. Here, the characters are completely backwards. Henry Snadley's last name should be sniveling due to the amount of whining that he seems to be doing, while his wife is <gasps> actually trying to be helpful in a non passive aggressive way! Where's the fun in that? Hopefully, there's still fun to be had as a guest checks in and admires the decapitated goat head.
1: Somebody's at the desk! <laughs>
0: The which we get to find out what the main plot of our story will be, and considering that only six episodes of Faulty Towers were made by this point, the other six airing one year after this pilot, see if you can guess which of the original six they were going to take a stab at duplicating.
1: Roger only called to tip us off that there were three inspectors from the International Hotel Guide in Town.
2: I know why Roger's calling here all the time, and I...
1: A friend of Bill Morton's <laughs> overheard international... three men in a pub last night comparing notes on places they'd just been in Exeter.
2: See, man, I'll call Bill. You
1: don't have to call Bill, Basil. Just try to exercise. Did your friend West Coast tips. Magazine
2: give you a specific date?
1: No, they always
2: pull surprise visits. Oh, uh, well, we were lucky to be tipped off at all. But that means that he could be here at any time. We better get moving. I'll, I'll order a decorator. new one. Up- That's
0: right. A story so nice it was duplicated twice. And in everybody's defense, why not? After all, the hotel inspector's episode of Faulty Towers is arguably their best episode, next to the Germans. And not unlike KFC's Eleven Herbs and Spices, people have come close to madness trying to get the mixture just right in trying to replicate. Of course, when two of your main leads are playing the polar opposites of the characters they're supposed to be playing, the recipe is already too far altered.
2: I'd like a room. Certainly. Will that be a single or a triple? <laughs> I beg your pardon? Well, if there were three of you, we could put in a top at no extra charge. <laughs> no, I'm alone. But I'm very particular about my accommodation. Just like to tell you that I have a wide experience of hotels, and some of those of my acquaintance have had the foresight to introduce this facility for the benefit of their guests. No, I see you have a wide experience of hotels. Act
0: two begins with a hotel at dinner, where Mrs. Snavely is now doing at least one thing that the original civil did. Shamelessly flirt with other men that are not her husband.
2: I knew it. <laughs> Would you be so kind? Oh, it's a pleasure. Bless you, my child. And thank you, my son.
1: Okay, fair's
0: fair. The fact that it was a priest does at least make the joke funny. And I can't fault the show for having at least one good joke. Sadly, you could only ride the coattails of one good joke for so long. Which brings us to a character that we neglected to mention in both of our previous faulty ripoffs, largely because his character wasn't featured in either one of them. That of the major... A long-retired military officer who may or may not have a severe case of PTSD thanks to a seemingly random recall. Here's an example.
2: How's a... how's a... M- 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 My wife? Uh that's it. That's fine, absolutely fine. They're taking it out tomorrow morning. Is she? Good. No, not her. The nail. They won't have operated till tomorrow. What? The nail. They're taking it out tomorrow. Well, how, how did she get a nail in her? No, I thought <laughs> I told you, Major. No, she's having a toenail out. What, just the one of them? What is him growing on, Major? Oh, well, if it's causing you pain, you have it out. Exactly
0: We mention him because, unlike the other two rip-offs At least this show had the sense of remembering that he exists In this show, he's played by veteran character actor Ivor Francis And instead of a military major, he's now a retired local police chief How well does this translate?
2: <laughs> Seems to me there was only one case of alleged rape in 12 years a Remarkable record, Chief if that cashier hadn't pressed charges against me, we wouldn't have had it. Uh... Oh, she was jaywalking and I pulled her over for a sobriety test. Sobriety test? You mean she charged you with rape just for making her blow up a balloon? We had another test. I don't care to hear it.
0: I think I'll pass on making a comment about that. Moving on, Snavely tries to schmooze with the man he thinks is the hotel inspector, and it's at this point where we now get to meet our photocopy of Polly, named Connie. Now, remember, on the original show, Polly was seen as the level-headed one of the group, someone who keeps her cool even as chaos reigns around her, and someone who puts out most of Basil's fires without him ever realizing that there's a problem to begin with. You know, kind of a mortar between the bricks, the rock that people lean on. Some might even say the secret hero of the entire series. But since we've already seen Corman and White do the opposite of their characters, I think we can see where this is heading.
2: Akani is working here for credit in a college course in hotel management. Are the vegetables in the stew fresh? Of course. They're not frozen, are they? Well... Because if they're frozen, they're not fresh, are they? Well, I... I can assure you they were perfectly fresh when they were frozen.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I-, I think my car alarm went off by mistake. Wait a minute. This is hell. We don't have cars. Play that last sound again, please. <laughs> Sweet Satan, they've turned Connie slash Polly into an airhead, didn't they? <laughs> and while I'm grateful that there are no Q-tips around here to clean out the wax of my ears, or just to jab into my brain, we then get a recreation of one of the great gags from the Hotel Inspector episode of Faulty. The part where not Manuel mixes up people's orders because somebody new is sitting at the table Snavely just took an order from.
2: Who are you? My name is Foley. I checked in this afternoon. What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm going to have dinner. Not at this table, you're not.
1: It's taken. <laughs> what are you doing?
2: Well, I... We can't sit there. It's taken. Come on. Look, I've been moved once already. What are you all in room seven, aren't you? Yes, but the waiter said table five. Well, this isn't table five. Oh. Would you come over here, please? I mean, this is table five here. Come on. We then get the part where
0: Snevely finds out that the guest that's supposed to be an inspector turns out not to be one.
2: Understand you're in the hardware game? (laughs) Yes. Beats hell out of being a hotel inspector, doesn't it? (laughs) I wouldn't know. (laughs) I'm sorry? (laughs)
0: <laughs> we now get to the culmination of the Great Menu Mix-Up, and if you listen to all versions of this show side-by-side, you'll understand why a show like Faulty Towers should never have been duplicated once, let alone three times.
2: You want to run this place? What? Connie, Mr. Bishop is taking over the hotel. I'm having his beef stew. <laughs> it's not my beef stew. James, the chef's been informed. It's his responsibility. You want to run the place? You are. You want to come around the hotel? Uh, <laughs> right, Mr. Hutchinson's taking over, Polly, so I'll have the omelette. I'm sure with his natural charm <laughs> and wide <the white> experience, we'll <laughs> no more problems. Come on, no, can't no, sit around no, all day. There's just... lots to be done. No, 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 help. All I've is really? no, that better, Mr. Hodgson? Is that better?
1: Well, good. that's all sorted out. Yes, I have become an I have been he's you see, I Thank you.
2: You want to run this place, you want to, you you want to run, run this place, you want to run, run this place, you want to run this place, you want to run this
0: place, you want to run this place. Act three begins with a continuation of the photocopy
2: process. What are you looking for? key to the fire alarm box. what? I'm running a staff fire drill.
1: Staff fire drill. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: It seems as though we're beginning a subplot to a separate episode of Faulty Towers altogether. The fire drill doesn't happen in the Hotel Inspector's episode. It happens in the Germans, which, if I recall, happens slightly differently on the original, partly through a hospitalized Sybil constantly reminding Basil over the phone to run a fire drill. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, we're just going to have it. I have not forgotten. Yes, I know. I know I need the key. It's on the top of the... Well, where is it? Well, what you put it in there for, nobody's
0: going to steal it, are they? Here, American Basil seems to care more about running it than his wife does. Example number 592 of how they're executing comedy backwards. How does that work out?
1: You set off the burglar alarm. (laughs)
2: What was that? Oh, uh, the burglar alarm, Mr. Foley, just uh, running a check on our security system. Your valuables are snafe here at Savely Manor.
0: <laughs> you know, knowing that there was going to be a third faulty Towers ripoff to look at kind of worried me at first. Especially since, after 50 episodes of looking at the worst that TV has to offer, I was afraid there wasn't going to be anything new to talk about. Which stands to reason, since I can easily jump back and forth between what an inferior show did and what a more superior show did in comparison. But, as it turns out... This is actually making my job a lot easier this week. All I have to do is go from one extreme...
2: Bandito, bandito! Bandito, where, where? No! (laughs) Here, here!
1: Fire, fire!
2: Ah, Debbie! Ah, fire, fire!
0: ...to the other. Here's the burger alarm!
2: All right, got that! Right! What's happening now? Now, here's the fire bell, Right! It's a completely different sound! A...
0: <laughs> and really, there's nothing else to add. Even audibly speaking, knowing what the difference is between the original product and the pale imitation is
2: pretty stark. I don't know why we go to all this trouble anyway. She just let you all burn. <laughs> all right, folks, that was the alarm. Now clear the lobby, go to your rooms, and the staff will be up there in a minute to teach you how to escape. Fire! Fire! No, no, there's no fire, it's just a drill. It's not fire, it's only (laughs) bells! Thank you so much. Perhaps I'm upstairs. What's happening now? Now!
0: (laughs) Of course we know that the faulty version is funnier because it's original. Anything else would be just a duplicate, like margarine instead of butter. Imitation crab meat instead of actual crab meat. Or Corey Feldman instead of Corey Haim. There's always going to be something better to compare the knockoff to. And, if nothing else, I thank Snavely for doing at least one good thing for us. Saving time. And tangent over as we jump from the German subplot back to the Hotel Inspector story. By now, we've reached the part where Basil Snavely, or... Is it Henry faulty? Who gives a shit anymore? Winds up running afoul of the guest that he thinks is a hotel inspector. But we already know how this goes. You
2: don't have to give us a recommended rating. You don't have to give us any rating at all. Just forget all about slavery, Manner. What? It's not just a business, Mr. Foley. This is my life. Look, I haven't slept we go. You cannot do this to her. Mrs. Cartwright, I think you have me mixed up with somebody else. What do you mean, somebody else? Aren't you the hotel critic from West Coast Magazine? No, I'm the golf editor of Sportsman's Digest. I'm I'm nothing to do with any hotel guide. I'm down here for the exhibition. I sell outboard motors.
1: All right?
0: but because this is a show designed to have a commercial break or two in it, the main punchline to the entire story doesn't get revealed until the final tag, where Snavely makes short work of his other pest of a guest, just as three men who inspect hotels are entering the
2: lodge. Henry! Dead beats. Henry, darling. What do you want? These three gentlemen would like to register. Well, register them. They'll have to do everything around here. <laughs> Three gentlemen.
1: Three. No, no, Never mind, I I tell you what. Why don't you hang your goat?
0: Uh, no. 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 No.
1: No. 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 You do not end an episode of a faulty towers ripoff or homage with a happy ending. Basil Faulty was meant to suffer. His wife isn't supposed to be consoling. And above all else, that is not how you react when three hotel inspectors watch you treat the customers like shit. You want to know how it's done? Take it away, John
2: Cleese. Good afternoon, gentlemen. And what can I do for you three, gentlemen? Ah!
0: wonder why this show not only failed the pilot stage, but got buried from the public eye for over 40 years. Everything about this show was wrong. The casting was wrong. The way they portrayed their characters was wrong. The flow of the story was wrong. Combining two existing stories into one show was wrong. The execution of the jokes were wrong. And above all else... The notion that anybody even wanted a show like this in the first place, let alone three times over in a twenty year period, when the original source material was perfect in
1: every way, may be the biggest wrongdoing perpetrated here.
0: And you know what I said earlier about how comparing and contrasting saved me a lot of time? The same can be said in our nine circles.
1: Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery!
0: Pretty much everything that we said about Amanda's in pain in our second and third episodes can be said about this one too, albeit with a few adjustments. The biggest of which is that this was a pilot that went nowhere unlike its 1983 and year 2000 doppelgangers, so automatically it gets a nod for limbo. As well as that super unfortunate rape joke that the police chief made earlier, leading to a lateral move towards lust. Otherwise, the same points still apply. The show felt like a fraud in comparison to the original, a kind of fraud that also feels like heresy against the source material, not to mention the fact, that this pilot was made while the original faulty was not only still riding high during PBS pledge drives but a second season of the show was still waiting in the wings. The need for an American version at this stage of the game felt a little too gluttonous to the faulty hardcore. As if that wasn't enough, even original show creator John Cleese was displeased with the way things turned out. In a 2009 interview with Digital Spy, Cleese mentioned that, quote, they played it too slow and that he and Connie Booth were embarrassed by the edgy dialogue, end quote. Hell hath no fury like the wrath of a TV show's creator. But not so much that even though they weren't credited in the show itself, the duo were inevitably and retroactively credited for having their story based on what they previously wrote, an action that I'm sure must have cost somebody a pretty penny. But just to be on the safe side, we better ring the bell for greed too, just in case. All in all, this hotel, and any other one associated with a faulty brand, should stay condemned. Condemned. Snavely earned seven out of nine circles of telehell. As the old saying goes, if at first you don't succeed, try try again. Faulty Towers' various ripoffs did exactly that, and thankfully, three seems to be the magic number of ripoffs since, as of press time, there are no further plans to recreate the show ever again. Fingers crossed. And quite honestly, Starting the season with not one, but two failed American adaptations of British imports is enough to make me drive on the wrong side of the road. Were it not for the fact that, once again, there are no cars in hell. I think what we need to look at next has to be a little bit more of a lateral move. Nothing involving transcontinental transplants, but something that stays within the family, so to speak. Next time on Telehell, what's the point of being dead if you can't laugh about it once in a while?
1: We cry because we care, and we bury them because they're dead.
0: <laughs> How's that, worn? Is that better? Until then. If it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Also, just so that I correct myself now before I hear about it from other people, yes, I know, Pain actually premiered in 1999 instead of the year 2000. It was just a pain in the ass to put this episode together, so, so be it. In the meantime, here are the credits. The part of The Devil's Secretary was played by Joan Bishop. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Lipsit. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again, so why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds, Twitter and Facebook, both at Tele-Hell Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can, and can what you do, at patreon.com slash tele-hell podcast. <laughs>
1: Woo-hoo-hoo! <laughs>